When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome into another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. He's Daniel Gallen. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We're here to guide you through what's happening on Penn State football fronts and the Penn State recruiting front, which is sure to pick up as the blue-white game approaches here in a couple weeks. Uh, Daniel, I know there was practice uh, on Wednesday. We'll discuss what was said between James Franklin and Manny Diaz, um, a few brief updates from that. But I did want to kind of give you the floor here for, you know, just some of the top lists that were put out, a couple key visitors that are expected to come to campus here in the next couple weeks, and uh, anything else new and exciting on the recruiting front. Um, I know Quentin Martin from Belverna is a big get for the blue white game. He'll be back for the first time. I think, I think since January, but what else is going on that people should know about uh, in the 2023 and I guess the t- 2024 class as well. It's that time of the year where there's just kind of a, a lot of sort of odds and ends floating around and you, know, you wake up every day and, and someone has a new offer. Someone tweets, they're going to be on campus. Uh, we've got new rankings out, but I think for Penn state, the the names to know right now, uh, you've got Emilio Agard, uh, the cornerback from St. Joe's Prep in the class of 2024. In the new 24-7 sports rankings, he's the number 75 prospect uh, in the country. Um, he was a five-star in the composite uh, for a little bit, but it looks like that came down to four. But, you know, we're splitting hairs at that point. He's a he's a top-notch prospect. He tweeted he'll be back on campus uh, this weekend for the first time since the whiteout. Joe Hermit and I talked a little bit earlier this week about watching him at the Under Armour camp uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, you mentioned Quentin Martin, uh, the number one prospect in the state from Bell Vernon. He'll be on campus for the blue-white game. He's another class of 2024 guy, and I think he'll definitely be a name to know uh, for Penn State fans. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of what that list for the blue-white game looks like. You know, you know that's going to be a big recruiting weekend. You know Penn State is going to pull out all of the stops, and I think it'll be kind of exciting to see how that shakes out. Shifting over to linebackers in the class of 2023, uh, Samaj Bridgman uh, put out a top eight that included Penn State along with South Carolina, Rutgers, Jackson State, Oregon, West Virginia, Georgia, Florida. A pretty interesting selection of schools there, but kind of some some usual suspects uh, in terms of schools that come into that Philadelphia area. You know, we've seen Georgia and Florida have success there. Uh, West Virginia has pulled some guys out of there. Rutgers is trying. South Carolina has a pretty good presence in the Mid-Atlantic. Um, and then obviously Jackson State is pretty appealing with what Deion Sanders is doing. So I think Bridgman will be an interesting name to watch. 
He transferred to Imhotep Charter earlier this year, previously played at Archbishop Wood and Bishop McDevitt in Wincote. You know, Penn State has had some success uh, recruiting linebackers out of Philly. Last year, they got Keon Wiley from Imhotep, Abdul Carter from LaSalle College, and then uh, edge rusher Ken Talley out of Northeast. So, you know, it, it's list season, uh, which is which is always uh, a little bit of content that you know you can't you can't really argue with that. Um, and then one more uh, name to know is that Josiah Trotter, the linebacker from St. Joe's Prep, obviously familiar name to Eagles and Commanders fans. He is going to announce his commitment next Friday on his birthday. His top five is Virginia Tech, Clemson, West Virginia, South Carolina, and Penn State. So it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, Penn State's class of 2023 has skewed really offense heavy uh, so far, especially uh, with the the flip of Andrew Rappelier, uh from Michigan or earlier this week. Um, that's another tight end. I mean, they're they're basically building the class out of tight ends and offensive linemen, uh, which is just pretty interesting. So. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we could have some movement uh, in that class of 2023, potentially. And, you know, this is all building towards, I think, what could be another big summer for Penn State, both in the class of 2023 and 2024, and who knows even beyond that. My favorite thing, uh, what you just said there, was you are talking about the schools coming into Philadelphia, and you just said, Rutgers is trying. Bless, bless their little hearts for trying. They are. I mean, and Rutgers is doing some good things, especially on the recruiting front. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's just kind of his Rutgers in a nutshell to me. I'm sorry if we have any uh, any new native New Jerseyans or, or Rutgers alums listening. Uh, I, I d- didn't mean it like that. Old old habits die hard. Listen, if if you're a hardcore Rutgers football fan to the point where you would get offended by that statement and you're listening to us, you deserve whatever comes your way. If it's insulting, you deserve to hear it because you're listening to blue white breakdown where we talk almost <laughs> never in positive terms about records football. Uh, that's a good way to put it. I'll, I'll let you know if the, uh, if the DMs start popping off in the next couple okay. of days, <laughs> uh, keep trying Rutgers. You'll get there. Uh, let's look at uh, practice news and notes from this week. And one of the things, um, you know, Manny Diaz standing before reporters. And I know I'm um, just making a statement about, you know, the difference between being a head coach and being a defensive coordinator now, being a more hands-on teacher now. And I, I just thought it was an interesting insight. You know, the, the transition from position coach to head coach. And then I don't know if it's a pride swallowing thing necessarily, but just the idea of kind of moving backwards from that. So going from the head coach at Miami, uh, he painted it in, in, in positive terms where, you know, you're not the CEO of a program anymore. You're getting back to uh, a little bit closer connection to the sport and closer connection to the athletes. I like what he had to say about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the part where I kind of read between the lines on on what he said, I have to quote in front of me. I'll, I'll just read. It's kind of long, but I'll, I'll do it. Getting to have guys that you really pour into every day and teach. Ultimately, as a coach, that's what you are. You're a teacher. So I'm blessed with the guys that I have. I have great guys in the linebacker room. I'm really fortunate of the defensive personnel in general, not just of their talent, but just who they are. So you get back in the room and you get back to that relationship of being a teacher and you try to do that as a head coach. And when you try to do that as a head coach, there's just a barrier. It's just not the same. So that part has been nice. Uh, I thought that was interesting perspective on, you know, no longer being a head coach 
I think kind of like the the reading between the lines part of it there is just that this is an opportunity for Manny Diaz just to kind of reset because of how things ended in Miami. I mean, that was very public and very ugly. And, you know, you got to think that for, you know, all these football coaches have a lot of pride. And I think that that was probably a little embarrassing uh, for Manny Diaz, kind of how exactly things went down at Miami with, you know, Mario Cristobal basically being hired before Manny Diaz was fired. So I think that this is kind of the opportunity for him to to get away a little bit, reset. He's still in a very high profile position, but it's kind of a little bit more behind the scenes. And it seems sort of like a, a reset. I don't think that a football coach would ever describe it like that, but that's kind of how it looks to me. And I think that that kind of shines through a little bit and kind of also in, in how the players talk about him, just kind of how fiery he is, how excited he is, how he's really honing in on the details. I think just in any walk of life, but especially in football and coaching football, as you're climbing that ladder, you know, you're in love with the the teaching component of it. You're working, you're, you're concerned about football and football only, but then the higher you climb and the more you get paid, essentially the more crap you have to deal with, you know, as a head coach dealing with uh, fundraising and marketing and, and news conferences more so than, you know, and there's, there's plenty more, you know? So I think probably like it wasn't by choice, obviously it wasn't how he would like to go back to it, but there is a real silver lining there. I think for a football coach to get back to, you know, how he kind of fell in love with the profession in the first place. Yeah, definitely. And Diaz also is a little bit on the younger side still. I mean, he's 48. So depending on how this goes, I mean, he could definitely be back leading a program next year, two years from now, uh, depending on how things go in Penn State and how the landscape kind of shifts. Because, I mean, I don't necessarily know if we'll see the same sort of craziness on the coaching carousel that we did this year. Um, just because I, I think there was a lot of kind of uh, some of those COVID mulligans uh, had to be cashed in um, in certain programs. So I don't think it'll be the same sort of movement after the 2022 season, but jobs always open when you least expect it. And for Manny Diaz, someone who has a lot of experience at high profile programs, uh, has experience leading a high profile program like Miami. Um, he's someone who, you know, at this point or in like a couple months, you know, the first couple openings come, he could probably be floated as a candidate depending on, you know, what that is. And I think it's probably worth pointing out, you know, with uh, Mike Yersich on the offensive side and now Mandy Diaz on the defensive side, you know, turnover is just kind of a way of life at those coordinator spots. And I think um, Penn State was pretty fortunate for a number of years with Brent Pry there to have somebody who was really good in the position, but wasn't that kind of hired gun. You know, that 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 kind of guy is rare. Uh, in the business. And I think, you know, James Franklin will be a constant and how he hires those positions will be something to follow along with. And the better job that Manny Diaz does, the more likely he is to leave. So the catch 22 of it. One of the other themes that came up, just the idea of the edge rush and not that any defensive coordinator in America is saying, you know what, let's have a little bit less pressure off the edge. But I think the degree to which they really seem to emphasize that isn't new, but I, I think it, it is a, a little different mindset. And I think it came with a little nugget that um, they might be looking for a little help in the transfer portal in that area. I forget what question it was in the middle of uh, Manny Diaz answering, but he dropped a, a little nugget that the quote, best coverage is pass rush, end quote, which 
is kind of, I think at this point in, in how football is played uh, defensively, I think that's kind of a, almost like a universally accepted thing. Sacks are great. Hitting the quarterback is great. And so I thought that that was kind of interesting. Um, and then James Franklin had mentioned that uh, Penn State is looking at defensive line in the transfer portal, that that's an area that, that they'd like to add. Obviously, they did it last year with Derek Tangelo and Arnold Abichetti, and that worked out really well for them. I wouldn't necessarily expect that kind of lightning to, to strike twice, but if there's somebody out there, I think that would be they would be pretty interested. And you kind of look around social media, and Penn State has been linked to some of the defensive linemen um, who, uh, who have popped up in there. So that'll be something to watch. Obviously, in, in the trenches, that's kind of easier to get an older player who can make an instant impact instead of sometimes relying on these younger players to take that next step and you know, continue that development that isn't necessarily always nonlinear. You know, we're sitting here, it's April, it's early April, you know, spring practice is going to come to a close soon with blue white game on, on the 23rd. And it's like, they're still shopping like that part of the roster, you know, to a certain extent is still unsettled. And I, I'm sure if you ask them publicly, they would say, Hey, we're ready to do battle with who we have right now. We're just looking for a little help, but it's just the nature of, um, you know, the where, where college football is and where it's going is that between April to August will, will happen pretty quick. And Penn State could have a brand new face coming in, uh, to affect the program. And, uh, it's just the, the way of life. And speaking of the word effect, I, I thought, you know, you're summarizing, um, sacking the quarterback, hitting the quarterback. You know, James Franklin used the word affect the quarterback. And I think that just speaks to the number of ways that you can do that, including, pressure early in games that can affect the player mentally uh that can have them seeing ghosts or have them speeding things up because they're they've been hit around a little bit um i think just the the word affecting really covers the full gamut of what they're looking for there obviously hitting and sacking the quarterback is the big objective but if you can speed a quarterback up you know that speaks to manny diaz's quote about that being the best pass rush everybody kind of knows that the longer a a defensive back has to stay in coverage, the less likely he will stay in coverage. So if you can speed things up and accelerate, you know, that decision-making, that kind of is the best coverage. Yeah. And I think I've talked about this before about how kind of my experience covering the Eagles and the NFL has shaped how I view certain positions. And that mostly comes with the offensive line, just kind of watching, you know, how they developed guys there. But Covering uh, Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator also informed kind of how how I view defense. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, their starting outside corners were Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby, uh, neither of which really suggests, uh, you know, shut down corner. Uh, that's not really, you know, that's not really the, the top guy uh, either, even though I big Jalen Mills guy, Green Goblin, one of my favorite players I've ever covered. But that's kind of the thing where, you know, there were some stretches uh, in 2018 and 2019 where it was just a mash unit in the secondary, but because they had those guys up front, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Chris Long, Michael Bennett, um, the list goes on and on. Uh, they had those guys up front that were getting into the backfield, affecting the quarterback. Almost didn't matter who was on the outside. Um, obviously, they had two great safeties uh, in Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, but you know, they were able to really affect things and, and change things up front. And it just made things easier um, on those cornerbacks. And obviously, Penn State has, I think, at least one 
really talented cornerback in Joey Porter Jr. And they might have two or three, depending on how Kalen King and Johnny Dixon come along. But I think that if they can get after the quarterback, it'll just make things a lot easier on the back end. And I think it also kind of plays into that bend don't break uh, style that they really perfected under Brent Pry, where they're not giving up big plays. There's not those big coverage busts. And I think that comes from forcing uh, opposing quarterbacks to, to get rid of the ball quickly and kind of make decisions quickly and take three yards instead of trying to, to wait and get 70 yards. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. And speaking of affecting the quarterback, I thought Adisa Isaac, his name coming up, and Sal Wormley too, just the idea of these guys trying to come back from injury and they're taking their time with them. But what did Manny Diaz have to say about Adisa Isaac in this conversation about affecting the quarterback? I put this in our notes, and I think Adisa Isaac is going to end up being one of the more hyped players on the roster entering this year. And I think it'll be pretty deserved. Obviously, he hasn't played football in more than a year, and you don't really know what he's going to look like when he's on the field and kind of the coming back from the injury. But James Chuck Losey had good things to say about him when we uh, talked to him after winter workouts. James Franklin's mentioned him and and Manny Diaz talked about him. Um, It says uh, he just has some things you can't teach in terms of athleticism, his ability to bend, turn the corner, his length, uh, the way he can get his hands on offensive linemen. Great players affect other guys that they play with. And I think Adis has got a chance to be that guy. So that kind of connects back to what we were just talking about, where if Adisa Isaac is getting after the quarterback, that makes things easier for the defensive backs. Uh, that'll make things easier for the interior offensive linemen. If, you know, the opposing offensive line has to shift protections to, to Isaac's side. So we'll see what that actually looks like. Um, I mean, I, Adisa Isaac looks, you know, he looks the part. Um, he's a big athlete. He's long. You know, he passes the eye test, um, even though most guys do at this point in the year. But I think that he's someone who, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I would guarantee or predict him to have a big year just because coming off that year away is such a big variable. But I would say that he's going to go into the year, I think, with some of the highest expectations on the Penn State roster. You know, the injury obviously is is a difference, but it's not entirely unlike the the way that they talked about Jason Owe before he cracked the lineup, before he you know really became somebody you leaned on. You saw flashes of it, and you've heard again and again, you know, uh, with Adisa Isaac too, just you know what his God given ability is. And so you you add that ability into the mix, um, and hope that you know if he's what they discuss him to be, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy who, you know, Arnold Ebiketti made a big impact last year, but you can take the edge off of, off of some of that if Adiza Isaac is uh, healthy in there. The, the middle linebacker battle that continues to be a talking point, Tyler Elsden, Kobe King, you know, you're going to go be going young there. Elsden's a third year guy, uh, Kobe King, a second year guy who, who adapts to the leadership part of that, the vocalization part of that, sort of the mental side of it could make a difference there, but, 
Uh, one thing became clear, even more clear, I guess, uh, with Manny Diaz talking about it. This thing's going to go on for a while. Yeah, Manny Diaz kind of talked about it in terms of this is what's going to happen in spring in the competition. This is what these guys are going to do over the summer, and then we'll get into the fall, and then they're still going to be competing, which obviously I think is the the right way to handle it. I think that they're really excited about Kobe King. Um, both him and Kalen King were getting a lot of praise last year, and Kobe King is kind of, you know, because of his brother uh, playing early and was just a star <laughs> already last year in spring, uh, despite being an early enrollee. Like, I think that Kobe King has maybe been a little bit under the radar, and I think it'll be cool to see him in the blue-white game, kind of in those reps in the middle. Um, Elsden is interesting. Um, we talked to him at Thon uh, at Athlete Hour in February, and he was pretty candid about the defensive coaching change. Like, he described himself as as a, quote, pry guy, and I think that he was someone who Brent Pry really recruited and, and really vouched for and, and brought in, but when there's coaching changes, there's always a possibility that things change for certain players. And I think that it's pretty a pretty clear sign that Elsden is really bought in and doing what he needs to do. And Penn State needs depth. So I think that it's good that they have competition at this middle linebacker spot. Uh, we talked about it a little bit, la- a little bit about last year about how they got really lucky <laughs> in terms of linebackers because they really had no one behind those top three. Um, when Ellis Brooks missed time, Luketa went back, but you don't really have that luxury this year. Like if someone's hurt, you know, it's Jamari Budden is going to be in the mix. Uh, Charlie Cashier's availability has been up and down throughout his career. Um, and then you're going to have Abdul Carter and Keon Wiley, uh, where obviously those guys are going to want to contribute early. But we saw with kind of Jamari Budden and Kobe King, how they were brought along slowly uh, in 2021. How much can you really expect out of those true freshmen? So I think that Penn State needs this competition to kind of extend on as long as possible a lot just so that they've got multiple guys ready um, in case something happens this year because linebacker is a physical position. Stuff happens, targeting happens, injuries happen, um, and you got to be prepared for that. Yeah, and I I guess uh, with Credit Jacobs moving to the will, uh, Jonathan Sutherland, coming up from from safety, presumably in more of a full-time role. I mean, you're not in an entirely different spot in in on the depth chart itself because you're still holding on and praying more development time for the young guys, looking at that that group of true freshmen, looking at Jamari Budden. You know, the less you have to lean on them now, the better. And so Kobe King and Tyler Elsden were both kind of products of that environment where they just wanted them to keep getting work, and now they're in a position to ch- try and contribute. Um, I really like both of them. You know, Kobe King is is strong and physical and smart. Uh, Tyler Elsden, kind of a throwback player, the guy who looks like he should be wearing a neck roll. Uh, the way that he approaches the game, gets downhill. I mean, he he's a, another kind of true blue. You know, think about linebacker you and kind of what that has meant. He just looks the part of that. So that'll be a fun competition. And uh, one last note, speaking of competition, too, is at the quarterback spot. And, you know, you make a good point when, when you say uh, – you know, we talk a lot about Drew Aller and Bo Perbola. You're looking to see what kind of progress they're making. Obviously, Sean Clifford being on campus for the 15th year. He's the redshirt, 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 redshirt senior. Uh, you lose Christian Veyu just a little bit there. And he's just an interesting uh, guy because uh, wasn't a real splashy recruit coming out of the Bola school. 
got into a game, you know, and, and played really, really well against Rutgers in, in brief time. You know, Rutgers didn't have a chance to game plan for him. I don't think they really threw the whole playbook at him, but now obviously he's kind of sandwiched in the middle and, uh, uh, just an interesting player to follow along with and watch. And he's going to have his say on how quickly or how slowly these true freshmen arrive. Yeah, I, I think that VAU really does kind of get lost in the wash uh, because you're you're so focused on the two extremes with the super young guys and the super old guy. Uh, and VAU is still a young guy. I mean, he's only a redshirt freshman. Um, he's been on campus for a year because he enrolled early. I mean, he was impressive in that Rutgers game. Honestly, I don't remember much about him playing in the bowl game uh, because by the time he got in, uh, it was pretty pretty clear uh, what was going on. It's just hard to uh, really put too much stock into that based on on what Penn State's roster looked like. But yeah, I think that Veyu is is going to have his say. Uh, he looks really impressive physically. Like I, I think that if you just line up all of the quarter, all four quarterbacks side by side. He might be kind of the most physically impressive uh, because Sean Clifford is, is a little bit more kind of compact, I guess. Like he's a little bit more in kind of a, a boxy uh, type because, you know, he's got that athleticism. He can run. He can put his shoulder down. He's pretty physical where Veyu is. He's 6'4". He's listed at 202, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was more than that. Like he looks very physically developed this year and obviously, you know, compared to the freshmen they're not as physically developed because they just got here. Um, so I think that Veyu looks good. I mean, the ball looks good coming out of his hand. Uh, Franklin has talked a lot about his demeanor, that he's very cool, calm, collected. The guys talked about him in the huddle uh, against Rutgers as just being really unfazed and just kind of, he kind of strikes me as a guy where you you might want to check on him to make sure that that he has a pulse, you know, like, that's something that I'm always interested in when you have those guys that are, are so calm. How, how do you really get a read on them? And I think that he's someone who just kind of carries himself with like a very nonchalant confidence. And I think that that's kind of an, an interesting dynamic to put back there based on how things are now. I mean, it's really I really wouldn't be surprised if he's the number two when they head out to Purdue. Obviously, things can change over the course of the season. And, you know, I'm anticipating barring injury, Sean Clifford probably going wire to wire as the starter. But I do think that Veyu is an interesting guy who can factor into things. And also just from the perspective of when Sean Clifford inevitably takes a hard hit, has to go to the sideline for, you know, maybe a couple series or even a couple quarters or halves, you're a lot more confident in Veyu now after what you saw him do against Rutgers and his development and just kind of getting to know him uh, a little bit more in his redshirt freshman year. The lesson being just don't forget about him. I made this point, I think on this space a couple weeks ago, but they're I think they're going to try to put off making a number three quarterback decision official uh, as long as they possibly can, which would make a lot of sense for Veyu, obviously experienced too, to be the number two quarterback. And I would venture to say, you know, that, unflappability is probably his best asset as a quarterback. I think, you know, he throws the ball uh, well, he moves well. I think he can run when he needs to. He's got the appropriate height and, and I think you can develop all those things. But so often the make or break point that you don't really know for a quarterback is how they are in pressure situations. Now, you know, can you read and process and make quick decisions in addition to that? That will kind of be his 
variable, but to, to not be rattled, um, under the face of pressure, to not be, to not have moments be too big for you. That's the one thing we definitely learned about Bayou last year is that he just looked like he was just in practice or whatever. And, uh, it's something that can serve him very, very well in this competition. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's an, always an interesting kind of balance in what you're looking for from a quarterback's mentality. Uh, cause I think that Sean Clifford has been pretty open about, you know, the fact that he's a fiery guy. He's an emotional guy. And I think that it's something that has served him well, um, in his career at times, but that's definitely a thing that has, that's kind of a, a double sided coin, um, in terms of sometimes that can kind of, you know, go haywire a little bit. Um, just speaking generally, but I think with VAU, there's kind of a, a real focus there, um, that is, is really intriguing. And you can kind of see how in a room, he's someone that an offensive coordinator, a quarterbacks coach can, can gravitate to. And you can probably see how his, his teammates gravitate towards him as well. That's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith gravitating toward each other. Here on this episode of the Blue White Breakdown. How's that for a transition? You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel JT Gallon. All the practice stuff that comes up along the way. There's going to be plenty more on the recruiting front. Daniel will be checking out Big 33 practice this weekend at State College High. So any Penn State related updates that come out of that, he will provide for you there. Once again, at Daniel JT Gallon. All that stuff will also end up penlive.com slash Penn State football. And on the Blue White Breakdown, which can be downloaded and you can subscribe to it on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning into this edition, and we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Live.